two great friends of mine and I'll let them both introduce themselves so we'll start off with the lady of the house first okay I'm Marcia Eflormadu and I'm Jonathan Leonard Alrighty, so we're here in the lovely city of Houston, and this was a place where I think we all came after some form of education, our master's degree or whatever, and we started working, and now I think at this point we can call ourselves mid-level careerists in healthcare administration. So this podcast is just talking about healthcare administration, and for those who want to know the real deal, or not the real deal whatever okay so just tell me a little bit marcia about you coming through the ranks of healthcare administration okay i'm not sure where to start but i definitely took an untraditional pathway into healthcare administration my undergraduate is in biochemistry and molecular biology and i studied public health for my master's degree and initially i started out in a research lab i did clinical research on infectious diseases Specifically anthrax for a couple years while anthrax. I was yes Girl. anthrax <laughs> while I was studying for uh, my master's at UT and so after that I was really interested in infectious diseases in the real world uh, we know what they've done in the past but today we deal with them in a completely different way um, you know hospital settings are all the buzz and that's kind of where transmission takes place the most. And so my goal was to get into a hospital setting, into a field that really would show me how we're containing infectious diseases and how we deal with them today. And so I went into infection control, which is a component of quality in healthcare administration. And uh, I did that for a couple of years. And now I'm actually in project management, which is completely outside of quality. It's very much process improvement um, and everything else that they throw in the bucket. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am now. So do you feel like infectious diseases are a bigger thing in the hospitals opposed to anywhere else? Because I'm thinking about, I was flying on a plane and somebody coughed behind me and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, do you think that confined spaces like, or not really confined spaces, but places like the airport should be a focus more so than hospitals? I mean, why is it that hospitals are more scrutinized? Well, because in hospitals, 90% of the population have suppressed immune systems mm-hmm. in some way or form. Either you've had surgery, I mean, obviously you're just not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And so you're more at risk for the virus or bacteria or, or whatever to kind of take over your immune system. And people that are coming into a hospital are carrying most likely something because they don't feel well. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a big incubator, for lack of a better word, whereas... On an airplane, most people, you know, they feel well. They have immune, you know, great immune systems. The air is being filtered. It just feels gross. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, totally gross. Okay. All right, Jonathan, let us know about your path. Uh, my path was also a little bit different. I actually wanted to be a clinician at one point. Started off in pharmacy at FAMU. Um, didn't like chemistry, you know. I found that out in organic chemistry, so eventually switched to um, physical therapy and was in a doctorate program for physical therapy, and I found out I didn't really want to 
work with patients like that. Uh, it's just a lot going on. But I really like healthcare. My family was in healthcare all my life, so something I definitely wanted to do. And I like business at the same time, so healthcare administration was kind of presented to me. And I think I've done fairly well, so it was, it was a good transition. Uh, once I graduated from FAM, I actually started off in home care, kind of talked on the phone all the whole time, and then I uh, was presented with an opportunity from the host of this show <laughs> about moving to Houston, which I had never thought about moving to before. And Lynn encouraged me to apply for this fellowship with Kindred, and I was like, I don't know. And I applied and I got it. So thank you, Lynn. Um, <laughs> and then Lynn also moved here. So that was that was pretty cool. We got a chance to share a lot of stories um, from our time at Kindred. And then I got into project management as well, dealing with some public health things um, at the University of Texas Health Science Center here in Houston. And most recently moved to the insurance side to do some project management with uh, chronic diseases and health disparities. So that's my role to where I am right now. And it's been an exciting journey. Learned a lot over the years and looking forward to uh, the rest of my career. So your um, tenure in healthcare was home care. Home care, hospital. Academic. Academic medical center and now insurance. Okay, that's good. That's a nice spread. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice spread. Yeah, so I've literally seen it all. So it, it's good to have that type of perspective because um, a lot of times when you just work in one setting, you can only see it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I kind of have like a 360 degree view of things. So that's definitely helpful uh, when working on projects and trying to think, all right, well, how will this provider react if we know we pitch this or mm -hmm. that type of thing? So it's, it's, it's been a good experience for me. So no pressure. Which one is your favorite? Obviously where I am right now. Okay. Um, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> no, I, I do appreciate the insurance industry a lot. And the reason is it gets a really bad rep from, you know, the news or whatever. But really the insurance industry is is good for, for our members and also can be a very good partner for providers. So, you know, our goal is obviously it's a business. Mm -hmm. So we do have to make money. Mm -hmm. And how we make money is our patients being healthy. Mm -hmm. So we want our patients healthy because that benefits the, you know, the company. And so if our patients are healthy, then that means they're out of the hospital. And that means that our healthcare system is working better. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't work there. You know, just right. kind of know what you see on TV and right. you know, the greedy and all that stuff. So I like it a lot. And you know, oh, go ahead, Marcia. That's funny because, you know, on the academic medical centers where I work and you know, we went to these huge hospitals, you know, uh, you know, 1,100 beds and, and this type of thing. We want to keep our beds full. And so we're actually on the opposite side. And it's almost like the insurance companies are villains. And so we're like, what? <laughs> we get reimbursed 30% on the dollar? Right. That, you know, we're doing all this great care. And they don't, you know, they don't reimburse us like we think we should be reimbursed. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting hearing it from your perspective. And it's almost like you kind of want to cheer for the insurance companies now, right? You want to keep the patients healthy, mm -hmm. I mean, especially with me in the public health frame of mind, mm -hmm. right? It's like, how can we keep them healthy? And I really didn't think, you know, the insurance side of things could, could help us do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you'll see, well, as the future of reimbursement changes for providers, um, we're moving out of the model of having a full hospital mm -hmm. to definitely paying more for people, keeping people at home. Right. Outpatient care, definitely. Mm -hmm. And right. so, um, you know, that's something that both providers and, and MCOs will have to, excuse me, managed care organizations will have to, to look at uh, moving forward. So 
you know, paying more for keeping people out of the hospital instead mm. of in the hospital. But as long as there are people, they're going to be sick. Yep. Chronic diseases are huge. Mm-hmm. Diabetes, heart disease, COPD, mm-hmm. asthma, all that stuff. So people are going to go to the hospital. But um, how do we effectively manage those, those members, our members, your patients? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's the kind of the next question in healthcare. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of changes going on. Too many. Washington, <laughs> so we really don't know how it's going to turn out, um, you know, with with the new administration. But we're just kind of watching and seeing yeah. uh, with that. So. Waiting in the water. I know, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, for insurance companies, and I'll jump into like my background, but I have a question. Insurance companies, how are they profitable with healthier people? They take in more money mm-hmm. opposed to dishing it out. So, in general. How insurance companies are paid, typically, if it's like a government program like Medicare, Medicaid, the government, whether it's federal or state, gives the insurance company money, mm-hmm. right? So the insurance company has to manage that money through different relationships with different providers. So what happens is, <clears throat> excuse me, the sicker the population is, mm-hmm. the more money the insurance has to pay out. Right. So it benefits the insurance company to keep their members healthy because you know that means they're going to their primary care doctor and they're not going to the hospital uh to the er room and now to urgent cares which Mm -hmm. are popping up all over texas as well so it benefits our members to stay out of the hospital out of the er room because those episodes cost a lot of money yep to the insurance not only to the insurance company but also to the individual Mm -hmm. so um again we try to partner uh, with our providers and also with our with our members, mm-hmm. uh, because again, when when the individual wins, everybody else wins. I was talking to a group of high school students, and I, and this is the method methodology that I told them. It's it's kind of like being in a club, you know. Everyone is in this one club, okay. It's it's the it's the the well people, okay. But then you know some of your people, and you all are going like on a field trip or whatever. And some of your people get sick. Well, guess what? They have to cover the cost for the field trip anyway. So that $2 that your mom was going to give you for the field trip is no longer $2. Now it's $5. So the next time you think about coughing on someone, make sure you cough into your arm so that everybody isn't sick. And they were like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, it's the same thing with insurance. It's the same thing with your car, you know, your car insurance. And that's why they promote, like... Uh, you know, safe driving habits, no texting and driving campaigns. That's way cheaper than them having to pay for a full collision or dishing out money to a family because someone passed away, you know, for some some type of, you know, accident or whatever. But the insurance companies aren't that bad, guys, okay? <laughs> Cut them some slack. We really aren't. And, and going back to a point you made earlier, it's really about managing risk. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have 10 people, right? Eight are healthy, but two are more sickly. Really, the eight are really paying for those two. Right. right. So it's beneficial for everybody to be healthy. And I realize there are some things that you you know just can't help, like pre-existing conditions. I'm not talking about those types of things. But there are some things that you can help prevent, right. like exercising. You know, if the lack of exercise can lead to diabetes and, and heart disease and all that other bad stuff, or the way we eat. Um, you know, can't go to eat fast food every day and expect to, you know, be healthy. Um, it'll catch up with you. So tell me, do the 
insurance companies invest in public health research and things like that that's going to lead us to answers on how to keep huge populations healthy? Yeah, I think um, there are lots of initiatives going on. And again, when, when you say insurance companies, you're also talking about the government as well. Right. Because that's what ultimately pays the bill. Right. So uh, I say insurance companies also include the government, whether it be state or federal. There are a couple of different programs that I'm aware of that do invest in public health research or activities. Uh, again, we want our, our members healthy because, again, we're a business and we, we need to make money to keep going to serve more people. So there are a few things um, that insurance companies and, and governments have kind of collaborated on, and providers as well, to, um, to expand public health uh, initiatives. So just to jump to my background real quick, and then we'll come back to this discussion, But because um, I do have another question that I just jotted down. But um, I started with healthcare different from my friends. Um, I already knew that I wanted to be in healthcare administration. I watched a movie called John Q as a kid, and I told my dad that I want to be that lady who's making the decision whether or not a guy can have a liver or whatever it was that he needed. And not to, you know, play God or anything like that, but, you know, really, because I, I love people. Do I want to take care of them in the clinical aspect? No, but I do love people, and I'm a very compassionate person. So um, I went to Florida A&M, and I uh, got a bachelor's in healthcare management and a master's in health administration. Um, I focused on the aging population and did a aging and public policy um, certificate. And I just knew I wanted to be in healthcare, so I worked... Um, for a healthcare agency for the aging. I worked for a hospital that was specifically with, um, it was a grant, a couple of grants actually, two hospitals with grants. And then, um, and that's all self-management, like chronic disease self-management. The other ones was Kindred, which is long-term acute, um, back at another hospital. And then I worked for the best company ever in life, which was a hospitalist organization a physician practice management organization, and then now I'm in academic health. So a wide spectrum as well, but um, the question I asked Jonathan is, you know, which setting was the best for him? I love working with the providers. <laughs> that was my favorite job so far. No puns to anyone else. I just, it was a lot of fun. So going back to a question, and both of you guys can answer this question, ownership of health, like who is responsible? So a lot of people have a different kind of perspective when it comes to healthcare. Who is ultimately responsible? For me, I always think about the person, the individual. You can yell at the government all you want to. You can yell at your insurance company. You can do it. You know, if it's an accident, it's different because, you know, you're struggling, you're, you're arguing about like coverage and things of that nature which is still kind of like your fault too. Like, did you read your contract? Like, did you know what you were signing? But um, ultimately, no one can force you to put that fry in your mouth. You know what I mean? No one tells you that you can just lay down after, you know, eating a burger or whatever and live this sedentary lifestyle. So that's my answer, but I'd love to get feedback from you guys. I'm very much uh, a believer in self-ownership in all things. I mean, you have the power to... Uh, take your life in any direction that you want it to go. And it applies to health, it applies to career, it applies to your family life. Um, and so I would say I own my health, mm -hmm. um, how healthy I am. And again, we're not talking about pre-existing conditions and things that you're born with and 
and that type of thing. But uh, things that can be prevented, I own that. Mm-hmm. You know, I own what I eat. I own when I exercise or how often I exercise. Um, I think it's it's up to the person. And though I work in the healthcare and hospital administration, and I love the company I work for, I love what I do. I tell everyone I love, please stay out of the hospital yeah. as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we're running a business. Mm-hmm. However, it's the most beneficial if you don't have to go into a hospital. Right. You, know, you, you get your annual checkups. You make sure everything is okay. And you live a healthy life. Because ultimately, your health is your wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Glory, you said a word there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, John and I. I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to say it's actually a team effort. Okay. Um, with you as the captain yourself, the individual as the captain. So you do lead that and you are ultimately responsible for your health. But not everybody can go to medical school, right? And physicians play a huge role because they have a lot of knowledge. And Google is not medical school. So sure. you can say that again. <laughs> WebMD is not medical school. At all. And so, you know, we should respect that. So these doctors have a lot of knowledge. They know the human body in and out. And they, they can help you or hinder you um, a lot of times depending on like, again their level of knowledge they'll present things to you or they won't present things to you right so I'm thinking about palliative care uh, that's one of the programs mm-hmm. I used to work in and palliative care is just uh, symptom relief mm-hmm. it's not necessarily hospice where you're going to die but a lot of times doctors don't offer palliative care to people who are in pain and number one the patient is still in pain and then they also think that, well, they said palliative care, so that means I'm going to die. Not, no, not really. Yeah. It's just trying to make your quality of life better. So that's an example of how a physician can either help you or hurt you. So your physician is also important to your, your insurance company as well. Again, they want the best for you. So if you have diabetes, call your insurance company and say, hey, look, you know, I have this chronic disease and I want to manage it. I guarantee you they have people on staff, whether it's a nutritionist, True. nurse, somebody to help you manage that disease. But again, it all comes back to you mm-hmm. because the insurance company can't put that French fry in your mouth. Yep. Right. Your doctor's definitely not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's all up to you and how you how your lifestyle is. Yeah. And I think that that you made a great point in making sure we consider the practitioners as our partners mm-hmm. um, to supply us with the information and the resources that we need. But again, it's up to us to how we use those resources and how we apply those resources. Um and so ultimately it would it comes back to you but again we do need those partners to actually give us the information that we might not otherwise know mm-hmm. so. and i look at it like this physicians work for you mm-hmm. and you yes. pay them yeah so if they work for you i'm not saying you got to be rude about stuff but ask questions yeah you know, you know it's right. your health and you decide when you go to the grave yeah and you know just to bring that around too like i can personally say that i've had a stint of having to deal with, you know, a a particular chronic condition. And if you're genuinely interested in like bettering yourself, you will find the resources that you need in order for you to do that. So a point as as far as insurance company, look, the insurance company will shove every resource down your throat. If I get another mailing from my insurance company (laughs) about all the different resources that they have, but you know, that's good to know, but how many people actually take part of it? So now I'm looking into more of a holistic approach, clean eating, not looking, you know, actually doing it. Um, But even with those things, like when do you give? When do you say, okay, no, seriously, I have a problem. Like as an individual, I need to change the way that I eat. I need to 
exercise more and not just those things i need to live a stress-free life or whatever the case is like when do you as a person realize that i need to do that i think your body tells you all the time i knew i needed to change something when i was like walking up a flight of stairs and i was up flight two and i was like <sighs> huffing and puffing and guys just so that you all know jonathan is a tall lean guy so that's <laughs> It's kind of bad. <laughs> just because you're skinny doesn't mean you're in shape. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think your body tells you different things. It could be, you know, you just had a, you have a nervous attack or something. I mean, your body tells you. It talks to you all the time. Something can start hurting. Don't ignore that. Mm -hmm. Go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might have bad news, but you need to know so you can fix it, so you can be here for a long time, so you can see your kids and your grandkids and your family and all that stuff. So... Listen to your body. Uh, that's it'll tell you, and then your doctor will tell you too. Sure will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if With you go all to your lab results, yeah. Right. Even if you go to the to, to one of them, yeah. yeah. And you need to go to a good one. Mm. If yeah. you go to a doctor and you know you're overweight, and that doctor does not mention that you need to lose weight, find another doctor. Yeah. Because they're overlooking obvious uh, pieces of advice that they need to give you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and as far as finding a doctor, because I think that's important too. Reach out to your network. I mean, people will tell you just like anything else right. who they like and who they don't like. And, you know, I think what's the stat? Um, for every time, like, something good happens, people will tell, like, four other people. Sure will. And every time something bad happens, yep. they'll tell, like, a They tell Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, everyone will know. <laughs> so, so use your network. That's, that's important. And, again, you want somebody that cares about you, mm -hmm. not just treat you as a... A patient like they actually care about you so you know do some doctor shopping don't yeah. just just because you right. go there the first time you might not uh, might not like them go somewhere somewhere else right there's plenty of doctors mm -hmm. um or they have something new called telemedicine too so yeah. they don't have to necessarily live in the same city as mm -hmm. you they could live on the other side of the country mm -hmm. but if you like them you like them yeah right? so Speaking of, I was just looking at this, um, the program that I'm working with, we're starting to do house calls for the senior population. And I found another organization out in North Carolina who are doing like house calls, but it's different. Did you know that they have like house calls, but then they also have like concierge, like doctors? Yes. My doctor actually does that. Oh, really? Yes. She does the, she has a concierge program and you can pay a monthly fee and she is on call. You can call her whenever for whatever, she'll come to you no matter where you are. Um, I think it's just another uh, way of providing another access mm -hmm. level to, mm -hmm. to healthcare. Mm -hmm. I think it's awesome. I mean, at this point, I don't think it's very affordable, mm -hmm. um, but it'll get there. You know, you know, there's ways that things become more efficient and they become accessible to, to everyone. So, I, yeah, I wasn't really aware of the telemedicine and the concierge service. Yeah, it's becoming very popular. But, you know, concierge, that's cash. That's not... Yes. Yeah. And, and here's another thing, and this is why I'm big about, like, ownership of people. Like... I, I can hear some people saying, oh, concierge, that's not fair. You know, I don't have money to purchase, mm -hmm. you know, concierge. Well, you need to get your money together. You need yeah. to get your weight up. Okay. Yeah. If you want that kind of lifestyle, unfortunately, you have to do what you... Because the government is not going to pay for that if you're under any type of... And some insurance will not pay for that. They're like, oh, concierge. Yeah, okay, yeah, no. So... Right. You better drive to that <laughs> Okay. Is we, it very necessary? Right, we have a brick and mortar over here with our name on it. You better go to find one of those doctors instead. So... Um, there's, there's tons of options though, even if, you know, cause not everyone is fortunate enough to have insurance through their right. employer. Mm -hmm. So 
technology is a huge, um, it, it levels the playing field. Mm-hmm. So again, telemedicine mm-hmm. is becoming big already. Mm-hmm. I think it will become even bigger in the future, uh, especially in places um, that need more access mm-hmm. to individuals who don't necessarily have the capital to do something like a concierge service or um, even go outside of their network for a doctor that they actually like to go right, to. Right. So um, there are options. And again, you just have to you know do your research, take it upon yourself to do research and who you like and who you want to see. I went and visited a rural community this past week. What incentivizes providers to to go back? Because okay, let's talk. Let's be real, Jonathan. Where are you from originally? Tallahassee, Florida. By the way of Orlando. Okay, Marcia, where are you from? Born and raised in Camden, New Jersey. Okay, so and I'm from Miami. So we come out of these larger kind of cities, right? Um, I was thinking about some of the providers and even administrators. Well, even us, like none of us are back where we're from. Why is that? Like, why don't we go back and try to like help our own communities or? Well, I think it's more of where life takes you. Um, I, you know, I'm matriculating uh, into my doctorate program uh, this fall. And one of the things that I'm very interested in is access. Mm-hmm. And we have, our healthcare model has not changed mm-hmm. in uh, how long. And the question is, does it work? Mm-hmm. Does it really work for you know the low socioeconomic communities which very much came new jersey is mm-hmm. at this point do they really have this true access to a healthcare system like we perceive them to have i mean can they get to a large academic medical center i mean i know there's you know there's public transportation and there's but is there a better way that we can we can give adequate access to those that don't have the resources to get to some of the best doctors in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's the question is much bigger than why don't we as individuals kind of go back to a single location mm-hmm. is how can we change our structure as, you know, as a country or as a people to include everyone. So changing the institution, I talk about this all the time, <laughs> the institution opposed to like the individual. If, if it's institutionally placed, then, you know, people have no choice but to follow the mm-hmm. institution. So mm-hmm. if access is wherever, mm-hmm. then everybody can, can just go because it's the norm. Right. But when it's not the norm, then, of course, you have to be creative and, and find different, you know, avenues for people to have access. That's a good point. So I mean, the, it takes the individual to change the institution, true. right? And true. so, I mean... Influential individuals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're not listening to everybody. So even in Houston, just because we live here, and there are lots of doctors and things like that, but there are still some communities in Houston that are underserved. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask yourself why that is. So you think about these communities like Camden, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. or Sunnyside in Houston, or some of North Houston. Why aren't there providers in those areas? Hmm. Well, what makes up those communities? Typically lower socioeconomic Uh, folks and that means they don't have a lot of money so remember healthcare is a business right and businesses are in are in the business of making money sure so if I have a lot of individuals that don't have insurance which pays a bill or they might have Medicaid or something like that and I put it in a community that's of a low socioeconomic status, how much money as a business, I'm not saying this is how I feel, but how much money is that business going to make? They essentially have to work 
twice or three times as hard and get a lot of people through their doors to make a profit. And, you know, that's another issue that, you know, is worth discussing. Maybe not today, but sure. you know, I'm at some other point. So, you know, again, it's, it's all about access to resources as well and, and again, access to care. Um, so I, I'm hoping to hear some good dissertation stuff in a couple of years about access. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would love to contribute to that in any way I can. Um, but yeah, that, that's an issue for sure, access to, to care. Well, I mean, and then the other part of it, let's speak specifically for Houston. If I live in River Oaks as a provider and I have to drive to Sunnyside, is it worth my while? So let me ask another question. Mm-hmm. If you live in River Oaks, are you driving to Sunnyside? <laughs> you can, because here's a structure in my head. This is what I think. I think that each community should invest into their own space. You ask the provider to either donate a half day or, you know, full day or whatever, or get on a rotating schedule. You invest your money into an administrator or um, a strong support team so that they have strong support when they come into the building. So that means everyone is scheduled and you manage the expectation of the people who are receiving the care. So you tell them, sir. I need you to be here. This is the form that I need you to fill out. If you don't know how to fill out the form, you need to come here 30 minutes earlier so we can get someone to fill out the form for you. Um, You will be here for 30 minutes and we will make sure all your prescriptions are refilled or whatever. You manage all those people. Then it's a well-oiled machine. Then people are more apt to helping out if it's structured appropriately. But think about all those other kind of like free clinics or something by the county. It's not managed appropriately. So what people do, they get angry, they go to social media, you know. So if I was living in River Oaks, I would be happy to do that. Just make sure the machine is running. (laughs) Seriously. Again, back to Jonathan's point, you're in the business of making money. And so where, where is your profit in that? Insurance? Well... Again, it's all about your payer mix, and I don't want to get too technical with yeah, terms. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But in the third war, your payer mix is going to be Medicaid. Yeah, yeah. like ninety nine percent of it, and so it's fine. You're you're twenty percent on a dollar. Yeah, for you that's fine, but for other people, it's not fine. And also, we have to consider that somebody that lives in River Oaks more than likely does not look like us, right? Sure. So, who's more likely to take care of people that look like us? Ourselves. Ourselves, right. So. But but they're going to Guatemala and they're going to, <laughs> they're going to my home country. They're going to Haiti. They're doing these mission trips. So, why can't you donate that same time for, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't knock mission trips, but, you know, overseas mission trips, because I think they're beneficial. Absolutely. However, especially Haiti. Shout out to Haiti. If you look around in your city, whatever, wherever you are, <laughs> yeah, shout out to Haiti. Yeah. Flag, <laughs> but if you look around in your city, just like just driving, I, I promise if you drive for 10 minutes, you're going to see somebody that's homeless. Yeah. I guarantee right. it. So what makes you go all, across, all the way across the world to take care of somebody, but you'll skip the people that are in your city and not take care of them? And that's for anybody, you know, yeah. and I'll, I'll put that disclaimer out there. It's not just providers or yeah. it's anyone. Yeah. That's me too. Like if I'm, I can't go past somebody on the way to the airport to fly across the world to take care of somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me. I, don't, I won't say it anymore. 
And, and I'll play, you know, the other side of the coin again. Um, again, when I was asking, you know, where's your profit in that? That's going to be the other side of the coin. Sure, you yeah. know, everyone's going to, people are going to ask, why, why should we do that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people <clears throat> may use the uh, ideal or process of thinking that, you know, if I go to a third world country, they don't have the same opportunities that people have here. Mm-hmm. And so being a homeless person in the United States, no matter where you are, is probably you know, a lot better than being in a third world country where we don't have running water and sure. we don't have, you know, a decent meal to eat now that is four a, times a day. That is a valid point. That is really the truth. So, I mean, you know, it's, it, everyone gives their time, mm-hmm. um, money, and energy into something that they believe in. Yeah. And it takes, you know, people like us and, and, and we probably know many people that believe in uplifting our communities. And it's one person at a time, one act at a time uh, to, to make these communities great. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's... Make it's these an, communities great, great, great again? Oh. <laughs> Just Not kidding. the reference I wanted to make. <laughs> but, but I think it's also an interest, though, in the city and the state to get these communities and help the people in the communities become healthy because then when you have healthy people, you have healthy workers. You can educate healthy people that can contribute to your economy and this might be a whole different, you know, conversation that we can have later, but it's in the interest of everyone to have healthy people. And so everyone should contribute to that no matter what 